Happy Easter, everybody. Mark's my name. He's risen. He's risen indeed. I wish I could hear that this time, but uh, anyhow, I, I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm really glad to get to speak to you today. These Easter morning messages, and uh, it's just, I just love it. Like some of you, I was, I've been incarcerated for 14 days by Dr. Bonnie's militia. It was a possible exposure, possible but not an exposure, to someone who was diagnosed as having a COVID-19 but was kind enough to want to share it with me. And Diane, with her amazing spiritual gifts of mercy, started to call me the leper who lived upstairs, hastened to ground me to the TV room by day and spare bedroom by night. It was no fun. But for a while, I was branded as one of those unclean ones, set aside as contagious and dirty and untouchable. But being possible as a le leper has uh, taught me a few things. Number one, I can only binge watch so many episodes of, of Storage Wars and still remain sane. Secondly, I believe I need to repent and recant of my previous position of silliness of hugging others. I got a glimpse of a hugless world. And now I understand the joy and the importance of the gift of huggage. Today I want to talk to you about the importance of humility. Easter would never have happened if Jesus did, did, did not choose to live and die a life of humility. Humility is the path for all of us to obtain eternal life. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 5, talks about how Jesus lived and led and died as the greatest example of humility. Quick survey, no hands up please, no pointing. How many of us think we're really doing well in different areas of our lives? And, and even in humility, golly, we look around and we marvel at, at how humble we really are. I'm not so sure. I again remind you of the lesson of the whale, which is when you think you're doing quite well and really feel good about yourself, you feel like you've risen to the top and around everybody around you and you're so pleased, you're ready to just blow up in pride and then someone harpoons you. Truth is, our world is very twisted as it relates to humility. We have all kinds of books and seminars that are available to us on how we can succeed and become the best of all the people around us. We think we are in control, and we are not. We think our future is good because of our finances or our relationships. They're not. And some of us think humble, our humble factor is quite extraordinarily good. Probably not. Today I'd like to talk to you about the importance of humility as it relates to how we think we're in control, but we're actually not. Take your Bibles, turn to 2 Kings chapter 5, and as you're doing that, I'm going to read Romans chapter 12, but just part of that verse where Paul is writing to the church of Rome. By the way, most Roman people agreed back then in Roman time that Rome was the center of the universe. Everything revolved around Rome. No. Romans 12, and just part of that verse 3 says, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. Let's pray together. Lord, this is a big topic, one that many of us don't even see in our lives, but it's all about you, not us. We pray that you would teach us what you want us to hear today and give us the courage and everything else that we need to follow you humbly. In Jesus' name, amen. Today, I'm going to be reworking some material by John Ortberg and Ray Vanderland, who was my mentor in, when I was studying in Israel, to draw some insights from the true Bible story in 2 Kings. Uh, Paul was addressing the lie that most people think that the world revolves around them when he spoke in, in Romans 12. 
and, and, and uh, do not need, we don't need any help. We're doing just fine, thank you. We're successful, we're smart, we're wise, all of those things. So Paul wrote, uh, don't think yourself more highly than you ought. And I want to take that, that, those phrases and, and work it out in what that means in our life. The truth, the truth is we are not in control. And it took just a little itty bitty virus called COVID-19 passed from one guy to the next guy to the next guy. And then it seemed that our world almost stopped. We're not in control. We're not in control then and we haven't been in control since. Second Kings chapter 5 talks about a man named Nahum. In fact, verse 1, it says, Now Nahum was a commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory over Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now bands from the Aram had uh, uh, gone out and taken captive of a young girl from Israel and she served as Nahum's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who was in Samaria, he would cure him from his leprosy. He's talking here about Elisha. Here's the big kahuna of the then known world, Nahum as the top military leader, and just finishing destroying Israel as a country, killing the king and looting the cities. Kind of seems like whatever he wanted, he got. He prospered, he, he rose in the army of Iran, modern day Syria, to be the commander in chief. Whatever he wanted, he got. If you stood in his way, you're going to be dead soon. It seemed like this guy had it all. He was a man of, a, of action. He was politically connected. He was a great soldier, wealthy beyond understanding. He, respect, he was respected as a man's man. He was a valiant dude. Everything he wanted, he got. But he got one thing he didn't want. Leprosy. This is one who tells kings what to do. He had leprosy. You see, leprosy was a diagnosis of death back then. It turned Nam's world upside down. All of a sudden, he knew he was just an ordinary man who would soon die a terrible death. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Leprosy was a well-known disease back then, and that uh, term to be leprous covered many skin conditions, some not as devastating as others. It was worse, at its worst, it was a disease where the skin turned a little brownish color and all feeling was lost. The disease would distort and eat away at the skin and flesh structure system until it destroyed the body's ability to fight off any infection and ultimately you would die. One of the saddest repercussions of having one of these kinds of leprosy uh, would be total separation from other people. Lepers lived alone and died alone, like no one other was around them except other lepers because it was so contagious. Sound familiar? This makes me think of the sad reality that many people in our day, whether grandmothers or fathers or older uncles, catch a virus, go to the hospital, end up on a ventilator alone, and some never live long after that. Back to the text. At verse, uh, verse 1, text tells us that he would soon die an awful death. There was nothing he could do. All of his strength, smarts, money, connections couldn't help him now. He was a leper. But in verse 2, it introduced another key person in the story. There's this young Israeli girl who was taken captive by Nahum's army and now is a servant of Nahum's wife. Kind of amazing how God puts people in our path at just the right time to declare God's love to us. So what would you do, or what would I do, if I were that, was that girl? This is the man who captured her and made her a slave. 
This is the one who shattered her dreams of marriage and being part of a family ever again. Everything got turned upside down in her life because of this man. This is where the tables turn. Now who's in control? Who's the big shot commander now? He is hopeless and she becomes a person to give him hope and life. What would you do and what would I do if I were in that situation. Surprisingly, this girl wants Naaman to live and to offer him help and hope. In essence, she told her master to get Naaman and go see the prophet Elisha so, because he can heal you. Elisha was, uh, was known because he spoke for Yahweh. And Naaman is not used to taking direction from anybody, especially Israeli slave girls. Now, I think there was a few more conversations that happened, finally, to get Naaman uh, to go to his king in Aram and then to the king of Israel and, and uh, ask for help. Now, hang on, he couldn't go to the king of Israel because he killed him. Yeah. And it's a little embarrassing, isn't it? I know I killed your dad because the son was then the king. I killed your dad, but uh, can you help me out? Humiliating. Yet it soon became a grace story. Naaman's next step is like the present-day general of Iran, his highest military staff these days, asking for an unknown Jewish surgeon living in Jerusalem for medical help. Ain't gonna happen. Naaman went to his master and told him that the girl from Israel had said, and by means he said, go. The king of Aram replied, if I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him 10,000 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. The king of Aram supports Naaman's going and asks for Elisha to help send, uh, help. And what they're doing is taking all this silver, 750 pounds of silver, by the way, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 sets of clothing to bribe the king or Elisha or whatever. Now, I don't know what was involved in the set of clothing thing, it says, but likely his socks would match his shirt, his pants, and some, probably all of his shoes would get polished. I have no idea all the ins and outs of that whole deal. All we know is he's using it. He's thinking he needs to bribe someone. Nahum's king also sends a letter, which is totally misunderstood. In verse 7, as soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow spend or send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me? The new king does not understand at all what's going on. He's so self-centered, he thinks the situation is about him. It isn't. He thinks Naaman's king is picking a fight with him. He's not. So the king of Israel tears his robes. He's got another 10 in the closet, so he, it, no big deal. But apparently, to tear your clothes is something you do when you're um, grieved and there's a real problem. Well, then Elisha steps in and says, uh, so that the humble and ordinary people can now be shown as what, who God is going to use to bring hope and life. In verse 8 and 9, understand here what's going on. When Elisha, the man of God, heard all that was going on, he sent him a message. Why have you torn your robes? Have this man come and see me, Elisha says. And I'll, it, it will be known that there is a, problem, a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and his chariots and stopped at the door of Elijah's, Elisha's house. Picture this. Huge entourage of people around their military commander stopping in front of your little house. Everybody in the neighborhood is scared. What's he going to do next? They're driving the same vehicles they just used to destroy the Israeli army. This is amazing. Nahum thinks he's going to be a, this is going to be a dramatic house call with all the power and weapons that he has. He thinks he's going to 
you know, really be the cat's meow on this one. I don't think Naaman even knocked. Do you think of your, again, back to our text, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Verse 10, Elisha sent a missionary, a messenger to say to him, go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. Naaman is ticked. He's thinking Elisha will come out and, and do a little prayer thing or something with all the power and prestige. Why isn't Elisha excited about this? It, it could make the paper. He doesn't even get out of his lazy boy. He sends a messenger, a nobody that says, even though you're the most famous military leader of all time or in the world, go wash yourself in the dirty Jordan River. This was offensive in his day and in ours. People knock on your door. You usually open, even if it's weird Uncle Harold. You go say hi. Go wash yourself, you leprous Aramite. <laughs> and Naaman got mad. It says in verse 11, But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would have surely come out to me to stand and call in the name of his God, wave his hand, do something, and get rid of my leprosy. Are not the rivers of Damascus better than all the rivers of Israel? Like, couldn't I pick another river? The Jordan River's dirty, and it is. Couldn't I wish on them to be clean? So, so he turned and went off in a rage. Who does this Elisha dude think he is? I thought he would at least pray a special prayer or something, but nothing? I am out of here. What's going on? Wounded pride, the opposite of humility. Elisha treated him as an ordinary man and Naaman gets offended and leaves. Who does Elisha think he is? I'm Naaman the Magnificent. How dare you treat me that way, really? Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Okay, lesson time. As, as like other places in the Bible, in our day we see foolishness in high places and we see high people and wisdom in low places and seemingly ordinary people with great wisdom. In God's kingdom, the first will be last. The last will be first. In God's kingdom, the success is measured not uh, very differently than the world's succession or success measures things. In God's kingdom, who matters and who is empowered is the humble. In God's kingdom, who leads, leads differently than those who lead in the secular world. Servanthood is greatness. Humility and kindness and mercy and grace and love abound in God's kingdom. In God's kingdom, those who love win. In God's kingdom, people forgive each other and build each other up with encouraging words. In God's kingdom, there is peace and hope. In God's kingdom, those who are full of pride lose. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Verse 13, Naaman's servants went back to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says, wash and be cleansed? Naaman's friends are leaning in on his life and say, God is asking you to humble yourself and do something small. Will you humble yourself and obey? Do you not think of yourself, do not, again, we're back to that same phrase, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Here's the key. God is often asking you and me to obey and do something small. How are we doing when, when how are we doing about that when God asks us to do something small? There are many times that I feel that God has led me to do something big. It's a challenge, it's scary, it's satisfying when we get done, but it's another whole deal when God asks me to do something small like listen to a child, be patient to wait for a senior citizen 
driving slow in the fast lane? How are you and I doing about doing the small things of life? For some of us think that we're, if we do something big, it's great because maybe it's more impressive and other people will think better of me. Sometimes God is not interested in something big. He's interested in small people and doing things that matter, the small things. I listened to a person who was on one of our Mexico missions trips once and saw, and she talked about how our team was doing. The team was told that some of the kids ahead of time had shaved their heads because they have lice and fleas. So please don't go near them unless you want lice and fleas. Another woman on the trip was quite upset by that. These kids were isolated. No hugs for them because these kids might have lice and might give it to us. So, so she, in the morning she had, oh boy, in the morning she'd have long lists or lines of little bald kids who wanted somebody to hug them. And not many of our team had that courage at the beginning. They did later. A small thing. Do you do the small things well? How important is it to hug the kids who have, lip, who have uh, lice? Well, it's pretty important for the kid. I think this story of Naaman the leper is about reminding us to be faithful to doing the small things for small people around us, like thanking the server in the cafe even when they get it wrong. Maybe you need to give that person with an L in the back of their car a little more room a while ago, I saw a quote saying this, God rarely asks us to do big things and get it right with great precision, but he often asks us to do small things with great love. Back to our story. Where Naaman wanted to do something impressive, God was just asking him to do something small. So the question was, will Naaman obey? I think he got a glimpse of all of his self-sufficiency and stubbornness and independence and self-centeredness and pride. He must have asked himself, is it worth it? He had to make a choice as he realized he is not in control of most all of his life. He, and he finally saw, I think, God is offering him a new way to be, a new way to have a relationship with God himself that he'd never even sought before. God was asking Naaman to choose humility. Verse 14, So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan River seven times, as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. I would have loved to have been there and watched him slowly take off each piece of gold-plated armor, all that reminded others that he was the general and walk into that dirty Jordan River and dunk himself seven times. I think there's a reference here to the picture of being baptized, being baptized today, dying to the old self, being raised to newness of life because of Jesus' death and resurrection. Some of us need to be baptized and trust God in this little thing of faith. I think God spoke to the pagan soldier, Naaman, as he stood beside the river and asked him, do you understand now? It's gonna take humility. Say yes to my offer, God would say. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 10, really verse 9, For it is by grace that we have been saved through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's the gift of God. We humble ourselves and accept the gift. It's not of works that anyone can boast. 
This means that we will turn away from all self-sufficiency and pride and trust God to give us what we need, eternal life, never-ending life. And it's, he says, when we do this, we are adopted as children of the living God. John chapter 1, verse 12. Yet to all who receive God, to those who believe in his name, we give him the right to become the children of God. All we need to do is decide. That is the message of Easter. Jesus died and rose from the grave for us. God was good and great and gracious to all and humbles all who humble themselves and simply ask to start a relationship with him. And they, if that's what they do, we do, we will be forgiven. Naaman, like us, stood in a place and chose life, not death. He chose life. He humbled himself and declared his acceptance of God's grace. In verse 15, it says, Then Naaman and all of his attendants went back to the man of God. They stood before him and said, Now I know there is no God in all of the earth except in Israel. Here's the truth about this story. Some of us have never yet come to a place where we know we need God. Up to now, we've done quite well, actually, realizing life now has been turning the other way and uh, we're in a pickle. Some of us have woken into the reality that we are not in control. Some of us face spiritual leprosy. Some have leprosy in their relationships. Some have a medical leprous issue. Some of us have just now realized today that we need God. And I remind you, you do, and I do need God, and he is good and great and gracious. He will go to great ends to get our attention to, and to be friends with us. The picture of Naaman means that we can be Christ followers. All our leprosy patches can be taken away from us if we choose. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says, The wages, the result of sin or leprosy in our life is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus. Sin separates us from God, ourselves and others, but God has a wonderful cure, a person named Jesus, the vaccine of our eternal souls. It is the person of Jesus, his death and his resurrection in exchange for our forgiveness. John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Here's the truth. Jesus died on the cross for you and for me. And all who humble themselves today and ask for forgiveness can be forgiven and cleansed of all leprosy. I want to give you an opportunity today to pray. Some of you have never done that before. Some of you are here today on the arm of a trusted friend who has invited you to your house or wherever. And this may be brand new news, but I want to give you the opportunity to bow the knee like this soldier did and become a normal person and was healed by the grace and goodness of God. You can have the same relationship that all of us have who have bowed the knee to Jesus. Some people say, well, you know, I'm, I've been too bad or I don't know anything about the Bible. It means you have to come to a place in your life where you realize I have a need. I have sin. I have brokenness in me and I need forgiveness. Humbling ourselves and understanding then, because we humble ourselves, that Jesus Christ will take our sin, give us forgiveness in return. That's what Easter is all about. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this true story 
with all the different innuendo and things going on there, we thank you that there is hope in humbling ourselves before you. And folks, I want to say, if there's anybody here that has never done this before, allow me to lead you in a prayer and start your relationship with God of forgiveness. Lord, thank you that Jesus died on the cross for me. And thank you for all you've done in my life to bring me to this place. I humble myself now and I ask for forgiveness. I ask you, Jesus, to come into my life and to adopt me into the family of God. I ask that you would take my life, turn it around. Thank you for all you have done and will do in me and through me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, once a year, uh, as, as your pastor, we do these cards, and we've done it again this year. For those of you that are online, uh, we're going to ask you to go to cachurch.info, and this, this card will be there in e-form, and we're going to ask you to fill that in. And really what this is about, name and email address, it's really about report, or responding back to this message and many messages that we've been giving you. In fact, you've got four choices on the one side. Because I believe in Jesus humbled himself and died for me, I choose to accept the free gift of forgiveness and new spiritual life. And you can go through these. And if it's applicable to you, check those off. And that information on the other side, it says, I need more information about maybe Alpha or a community group or baptism, whatever it is. However we can serve you, right on there. And it'll, it's private. We'll keep that very private. And you can have uh, maybe someone who wants you to have be prayed for. Some want me to do, do that, and it's kind of a private thing. Others want Pastor Brad or Pastor Cam Daly because they're these all the, the three of us are kind of like the site pastors here. Or maybe you want the prayer team to be involved in that. And that's a very personal and private thing. In fact, I keep these every year and keep praying through them. And when the new year comes, like this is the new year as far as I'm concerned with, the, with Easter time, I get the new cards and pray through those. And many of you, thank you for getting back to me halfway through the year telling me that this is going on and that's going on. God is working, and I appreciate you trusting me in this. So if you will take some time and do that, I really appreciate it. And if you ask for some of these things, we will get the, the proper ministry leader to call you directly, or sorry, email you directly. Lord bless you as you do this and continue in this Easter season. May the love and grace of God come upon you in a mighty way this, this season. And may Easter be something brand new for you. I pray that in Jesus' name for you. Amen. Lord bless you, folks.